The Seahawks gave the 49ers all they could handle for three quarters on Saturday, but as the fourth quarter showed, they're not quite to where they need to be to contend in the loaded NFC. What do they need to do to bridge the gap with the 49ers and the rest of the NFL's elite? Rob Rang and I are going to be breaking it all down on our Tuesday edition of Locked On Seahawks. You are Locked On Seahawks, your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Greetings, 12. This is Corbin Smith, your host for Locked On Seahawks. Joining me for our latest episode, my host in crime. Rob Rang. It's our final Tell the Truth Tuesday of the 2022 season. We'll be dishing out some closing thoughts, maybe a few hot takes, some overreactions maybe for our final Tell the Truth Tuesday. And we're going to be taking a look at what the Seahawks need to do to close the gap between them and the 49ers and the rest of the NFL's elite heading into the 2023 off-season loaded episode coming your way courtesy of prize picks prize picks is daily fantasy made easy pick two to five players and if they score more or less than their prize picks projection you can win up to 10 times your money on your entry first time users can receive a 100 instant deposit match up to 100 with the promo code locked on that's prizepicks.com promo code locked on now for your lead story here on tell the truth tuesday on the locked on seahawks podcast for three quarters, the Seahawks were giving the 49ers everything they could handle at Levi Stadium on Saturday. They were trailing by just six points. A few costly mistakes, though, ended up leading to a route for the 49ers. They scored 25 unanswered points, and the talent gap between the two teams became very evident. If it wasn't already evident in the two games in the regular season, the 49ers are just the better football team, and the Seahawks are not quite there yet, even though surprise making the postseason. And now they're heading into a critical offseason where expectations are going to be much higher after making the playoffs, especially with a dominant rookie class like the one they had that's going to be entering year number two. So the million-dollar question here, Rob, is what do the Seahawks need to do to be able to get over the hump in terms of contending for a Super Bowl? What do they have to do to close the gap with the team that swept them in three games, the 49ers, and the rest of the NFC's elite to really have a chance to push for a Lombardi trophy next year or even the season after that? Well, that's the thing, Corbin, is I think that there is a significant number of things that the Seahawks need to do to close that gap. If they're really going to be a Super Bowl contender, as I believe that the 49ers are, I, I think that certainly they have to get just in general terms, have to get bigger and stronger along the line of scrimmage. But I'll, I'll start off with the one I think is the most obvious, and that just being the pass rush. If you either rush the quarterback and do it effectively or you don't in the nfl and if you don't then it's very very difficult to win it doesn't matter what you got at the quarterback position so for me one of the very first things that the seahawks are going to have to do is they're going to have to address the pass rush now maybe that is just teaching Boye Mafe uh, a little, you know, coaching him up a little bit more and developing him. Maybe it is using um, one of your early selections on, on a pass rusher. There are going to be several very good candidates in this year's class. And obviously Seattle at, at picks five and 20 are going to have the opportunity to do so. Um, but again, to me, stopping the, or getting the pass rush going, I think is absolutely one of the top priorities. 
And I'm going to build off of that. And I've been talking about this really since the middle of the 2021 season. The Seahawks have some capable defensive tackles on their roster. Shelby Harris, Puna Ford, Quentin Jefferson, Al Woods is still a very good player at 35 years of age. But they don't have that game record. If you look at the rest of the teams that are still alive in the playoffs right now, the Philadelphia Eagles have like six of them on their defensive line with Jordan Davis being a first-round pick, Javon Hargrave, Fletcher Cox is still a very good player. And Dominican Sue signed later in the season. He can still do some things at the latter stage of his career. The Seahawks don't have anybody on their defensive line in the interior that is like that. Now, Quentin Jefferson was very good the last month of the season. But again, he's not going to be mistaken as one of those players that can take over games. And so many of the teams the Seahawks played this year had at least one defensive tackle with that type of capability. They don't have that player on their roster. The good news is, you know, I don't know if Jalen Carter is going to still be there at number five. In fact, I'll be surprised if he is. But you've got Jalen Carter. You've got Brian Breesey from Clemson as well. There are a couple other defensive tackles in this class that intrigue me that have the ability to rush the passer. The draft is setting up well. And then you got some players like Javon Hargrave, who I just mentioned, who are going to be free agents. The Eagles are not going to be able to re-sign all of these players. And there's a couple other quality veteran defensive tackles that have this ability that could be available in the free agent market too. I think cost is going to be an issue, but this has to be addressed. They need to get that dynamic, disruptive player in the middle, especially if you're running a 3-4 defense. you got to have a defensive tackle that can take over games. And I think by default, once you have that player, your edge rushers are going to be that much more successful. We saw that in the games, that they had an interior pass rush. It got their edge rush going. I know that you want to talk a little bit on offense, and maybe it'll surprise some people where you are looking towards maybe as a, a bigger need than most people maybe anticipate going into this offseason. Yeah, to me, one of the uh, of the concerns that you have to have is you have to just be able to score points in this league. And, and that's different than the way that it had been in prior years. So you said it, Corbin. I, I think that it might surprise people. They might think that I'm going to face center. And I think center is just so obvious. I'm just going to hold off on that. I'm, I'm going to say that finding another set of hands whether that be really a tight end that you feel is dependable, whether that be a classic slot receiver, whether that be a big slot receiver like what Derek Young showed in his limited opportunities. Uh, you know, I, I just I, I worry about Tyler Lockett physically breaking down. Um, DK Metcalf was absolutely unbelievable. Well, I just I do believe that the Seahawks need to find themselves another receiver outlet uh, to be able to be successful enough to be able to kind of keep up with the most explosive offenses in the NFL. I just don't believe the Seahawks defense is going to be able to make such a dramatic turnaround in one season that the Seahawks are suddenly going to be able to clamp down the most explosive offenses in all of the NFL. So improve the defense, certainly. But at the same time, I also think that you have to sprinkle in a little bit more kind of fairy dust to Seattle's offense to be able to make it as explosive as some of the other schemes in all, all throughout the NFL. I'm glad you mentioned Tariq Young because he's that physical, athletic, capable blocker that you would like to have in the slot. But there's still a lot of questions about how he's going to develop. We saw him come on strong at the end of the season. D. Eskridge hasn't been able to stay on the field. And when he has been out there, it really hasn't been a factor most of the games he's played in. So maybe he's a guy that in year three the light switch comes on. But it seems like a position that they're going to need to add somebody to at least create some competition. And again, another loaded draft class. I feel like every year from here on out it's going to be loaded that position. But there are plenty of receivers that the Seahawks can look at in this draft class with all the picks they have to add to that group. 
I'm going to go to the offensive line, and I know you just said, you know, center's too easy. Well, yeah, it's the hanging fruit for a reason because Austin Blythe, that under 300 pounds, just can't get the job done as a run blocker consistently. Gets blown up, is not able to create push, even to just seal off defenders is a struggle for him. He was okay in pass protection most of this year. And we'll talk about this later. I think Blythe maybe has a place on this football team still next season, but they need to draft with one of those first four or five picks they've got. They need to get a center of the future that can come in and compete against him right away, maybe beat him out right away. That would be great news with a center on a rookie contract that's affordable for four seasons. And I think right guard is also a major position of need. Gabe Jackson had the fourth worst pass blocking efficiency in the entire NFL for guards this year, according to Pro Football Focus. He's going to have a cap hit of more than $8 million next year. You can save $6 million by cutting him. I think that that is an inevitable move that's going to happen, and this is a really solid draft class, both at center and guard. you got John Michael Schmitz for Minnesota. is probably my favorite center. You've got Osiris Torrance from Florida, Voorhees from USC, a couple of guards I just mentioned there. So there's some really intriguing prospects that could be available on day two to the Seattle Seahawks at those two positions. And real quick to wrap up, you and I both had kind of our honorable mention selections here. And you've got another surprise given how well Seattle's secondary, particularly the corners, played this year. Yeah, I, I, again, much the same way that I just kind of made the argument of why Seattle's going to have to be able to score um, to keep up with the dynamic offenses out there. I, I think that you can never have enough pass rushers. You can never have enough cornerbacks. And I, I love what I've seen in limited doses from Mike Jackson, from Trey Brown, from even Tariq Woolen. But the fact that Tariq Woolen struggled as much as he did in that final game against the 49ers, the fact that Mike Jackson, at least at this point, has been a little bit more of a journeyman than any type of consistent, uh, reliable starter, although he did play very well this year. And I know that Trey Brown, again, has shown flashes. He was a high draft pick. I'm encouraged by all of them. But I think that this year's cornerback class is one of the better positional groups. And I think that Seattle would be wise to consider consider um, to you know con, con, continue, excuse me, geez, continue to take one of the positions that Pete Carroll and John Schneider have an incredible hit rate, and so be able to continue that because again, it, it just is a position that you absolutely need to have live bodies to be able to compete in today's NFL. Staying on defense, this one's not going to be as surprising. Again, kind of a low-hanging fruit with Jordan Brooks now having ACL surgery. Expected to happen tomorrow, finally. He is way behind on the clock to get back for the start of the season. Pete Carroll's holding out hope, but I would be surprised if he is able to play early in the season for the Seahawks. And this was already a position question mark. First year did not play well in the playoff game after a pretty strong second half to the season. You've got Tanner Muse as a restricted free agent. John Radigan was missing for most of the season coming out of a torn ACL. They've got major question marks in that position with Jordan Brooks, let alone without him. And I feel like that's another position they're going to have to invest in early draft pick because they've got to be thinking both short and long term. And I'm thinking they got to be looking for thumpers, maybe somebody like Noah Sewell from Oregon, uh, Jack Campbell from Iowa, two linebackers that are 245-plus pounds that still have good movement skills that would fit a 3-4 defense. They're going to have to add some players, even if they re-sign Cody Barton, which I think is a higher priority now than it was before Brooks's injury. You're still going to have to draft somebody in that position. So I think, I think the front seven, we can agree Pete Carroll mentioned it. Really, that whole front seven, they got to continue retooling that group with talent 
edge rushers, defensive tackle, as well as linebackers and injuries have further necessitated that at the linebacker position. Coming up next here, it's our final Tell the Truth Tuesday segment of the season. Our closing thoughts from Saturday's game and from the season in general, maybe some hot takes and a little bit of overreactions maybe sprinkled in there. We're looking forward to dishing out our takes here on our final Tell the Truth Tuesday. Coming up next here on Locked On Seahawks. This episode is brought to you away by Prize Picks. We've got the divisional round coming up this next weekend, and I can't wait to see what Daniel Jones has in store against the Philadelphia Eagles coming off the best game of his career. I'm betting on him scoring three total touchdowns, actually, against the Eagles. That might seem like a bold lead with Prize Picks. It's easy to play daily fantasy and put those entries to the test. Pick two to five players if they score more or less than their Prize Picks projection. You can win up to 10 times your money on any entry. No competing against other people. It's just you versus the projections available. And Prize Picks offers projections on any sport that you watch, including the NFL, NBA, MLB, NHL, PGA, boxing, and much more. And you can make your entries in 60 seconds or less. It's that easy. With safe and fast withdrawals, it's currently operational in over 30 states as well as Canada. Download the Prize Picks app today or go to prizepicks.com to sign up and play daily fantasy sports. First-time users can receive a 100% into deposit match up to $100 with a promo code locked on. Don't forget to enter the promo code locked on at sign up for an instant deposit match up to $100. You're listening to the Locked On Seahawks podcast, Tell the Truth Tuesday edition. I'm your host, Corbin Smith. Glad, as always, to be joined by my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. And a special thanks to all the 12s out there, whether you're listening in Boise, Idaho, whether you're listening in Texas or in Japan. We appreciate all of our listeners for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. And for your second listen, don't forget to check out the Locked On NFL podcast to get your daily conversations on the biggest NFL stories. They've got in-depth analysis on the biggest games with NFL key predictions every Friday and Monday. Local insiders cover the weekend with game-to-game episodes. Locked On NFL is available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Well, we had our final Monday musings yesterday, Rob. Now we're going to be closing out the 2022 season with our final Tell the Truth Tuesday segment, dishing out some closing thoughts from Saturday's game, the season in general, maybe some hot takes, some overreactions. It's one of our favorite segments of the week, and we'll be expiring it until next season after today. We'll have some new stuff we'll be doing on Tuesdays during the offseason. Rob, I'm going to throw the mic over your way, as we always do on Tell the Truth Tuesday. You get first dibs here. Share some thoughts on offense, You know, maybe a hot take, maybe an overreaction, or just some analysis coming out of this season, coming out of Saturday's game. What's something that stands out to you on the offensive side of the ball? Gino, Gino, Gino. I mean, it was it was unbelievable. Everybody who was in the stadium uh, against the Denver Broncos and Russell Wilson, when Geno Smith absolutely stole Seattle Seahawks fans' hearts and, and just led the Seahawks to the playoffs. I mean, what an unbelievable ride the 2022 season was. I mean, I, I think that there's going to be a lot of people out there, Corbin, who are just going to be kind of, you know, oh, the sky is falling because Seattle got knocked out of the playoffs. And instead, I look at it being entirely – the opposite way there there was just zero expectation that this team was going to be competitive the way they raced out to the start Geno Smith looking like an MVP for much of the season uh you know really he's become the priority I think for the Seahawks and you know in terms of what they plan to do obviously they have number five overall pick but those are going to be the two storylines they're going to absolutely dominate everything moving forward and who could have predicted that uh, you know, and so to me, that is 
the the big takeaway here is that to me, Geno Smith played at a Pro Bowl level. I don't know that he played at a Super Bowl level. And, and that's what the Seahawks have to kind of try to, to determine for themselves. Are, are they going to pay him the upper echelon money that his play suggests he deserves? Although, obviously, this was just a one-year sample size, and this is an offense that Pete Carroll has talked about, um, is, you know, it, it's a system. It, it's something that he is, uh, has helped a lot of quarterbacks enjoy a great deal of success in. So, to me, I, I'm just fascinated by what the decision the Seahawks have for themselves. Pete Carroll basically tipped his hand, or at least appeared to do so, by saying that Geno's our guy. Um, you know, I'm paraphrasing his words here, but that's kind of what he said in his post season press conference after the 49ers loss and you know I, I think that that is the case but i also think that there's going to be an awful lot of other very talented quarterbacks in the free agent marcus drew and drew lock being one of them for crying out loud um and i, I think that there's again they're going to be a really good quarterback class here so i really am fascinated about what the seahawks the decision that they have in front of them and i think the seahawks fans should be excited um, because either way it's going to lead to an exciting 2023 now, speaking of excitement in 2023, regardless of who is under center for the Seahawks, I expect it's going to be Geno Smith. But as you said, there's going to be other options that are tossed around, I would anticipate, with having the number five pick and all the good free agents that are out there, some players that might be available for trade too, <clears throat> Lamar Jackson. Uh, there's a lot of different variables that are out there right now. But one thing that is certain for the Seattle Seahawks next year they're going to have one of the best tackle duos in the NFL. I am convinced of this after re-watching the All-22 film. The difference was night and day compared to the first two starts against the 49ers this year where Charles Cross and Abraham Lucas at times looked very overmatched against an elite defense. They gave up two quarterback hits as an entire team in that football game, and only one of them came courtesy of those tackles. They were fantastic from start to finish. The only blemish was the play that Geno Smith fumbled on and Abe Lucas gave up a pressure on that play. Charles Cross got beat on that play. But you take that play out of the equation, they were near perfect. And Nick Bosa didn't have a single quarterback hit. So some might see this as a hot take. You know, you could say they're one of the best young tackle duos. No, I think they are a top five tackle duo in the NFL in 2023. I think they're going to hit the weight room, especially Charles Cross is going to get stronger. Both these guys are going to be much more refi refined in the run game. They're going to get after it, pass protection, going to cut their sacks. They're giving up down maybe even in half next season. And I think that's going to be a big part of this offense taking another step forward as these really good young tackles taking that big step and becoming Pro Bowl caliber players in year two. Wow, that's a bold take. And I, I like it because I think that I, I see the talent uh, and I see that kind of hunger, um, the toughness. I was very impressed by Seattle's two rookie tackles this year. Um, it, to me, it's going to – I'm going to swing to the defensive side of the ball as a – you know, to me, one of the, the takeaways here is I just really thought that for all the talent that Seattle brought in in terms of personnel and all the talent that Seattle brought in in terms of coaches, I, I really I, – I got a little bit impatient. Uh, I think a lot of Seahawks fans did. I think that they expected it to be kind of an overnight transition – um, to all of these different coaches, all of these different players, including obviously a whole bunch of rookies, and, and the, the Seattle's defense would be more consistent, more reliable um, this season. And obviously that didn't happen. So to me, 
I, I think that Seattle now has a huge decision to make because obviously the, the, the defensive uh, ascent that we have seen in prior years um, never happened. And so is are the Seahawks going to be willing to bring in the type of personnel that fit a more traditional defense, or are they going to go with a guy like a Puna Ford or, or a Cody Barton guys who are, are productive in Barton's case are good football players uh, in, in Puna Ford's case in that he is not, doesn't have the production that Barton has. They're both good players, but they might be kind of the round holes in the square peg kind of a thing um, in the way that Seattle wants to play it. And yeah. again, you have all these draft picks, you have all this financial freedom in free agency, possibly at least. I think that, Almost as big as the decision is with Geno Smith on the offensive side of the ball, specifically with Barton and Ford and, and what their body types and styles and how they fit into the defense that Seattle has prioritized in the past, but maybe is not going to prioritize moving forward. That to me is going to be a really interesting storyline uh, to kind of watch and something that I, I'm kind of looking forward to seeing what the Seahawks are going to do. There's a lot of dominoes that are going to fall differently depending on what the Seahawks choose to do, not just at quarterback, but with some of those defensive pieces that were holdovers from their previous system. If they keep them around, there's going to be differences in the type of players they're going to be looking to draft and what they're going to be adding in free agency. If they let them both go, then obviously that creates holes in your roster that you have to try to plug in, and that's going to have to be handled accordingly. Staying on the defensive side, at you know, you and I, we've even did some listeners point this out. You two are peas in a pod. You guys agree on way too much. One thing that I disagree with you a little bit on, not that Seattle shouldn't draft a corner, because I do like this cornerback class. In fact, there's some guys on day three that I really like, including Julius Brents from Kansas State. Could you imagine another six foot four corner across from Tariq Woolen? And he's a really athletic kid, too. He's probably a day three prospect, but played for a very good Kansas State team. So I digress. There are some really good corners. There's some really big corners that you could put across from Tariq Woolen, and suddenly you'd have a new Legion of Boom, at least from a physical stature standpoint. But let's give Mike Jackson some love because I feel like he is the player on this defense. You would think Shelby Harris would maybe be this guy, but Shelby Harris has gotten some positive attention. I feel like Mike Jackson just kind of went under the radar all season. This is a guy that had never started a game in the NFL before this year. As you mentioned, he was a journeyman. He was bouncing around on practice squads. And all he did was have almost 80 tackles, 12 passes defensed, finally got an interception at the end of the season. He made some big plays on special teams. He returned a blocked field goal from Tariq Woolen for a touchdown against the 49ers in week two. Was he perfect? No, none of these players were. There were some missed tackles left out there. But Overall, I actually thought consistency-wise, he was right on par with Tariq Woolen in coverage, and I thought he made some really nice plays, and he brings a physicality to this defense that Pete Carroll loves and desires at the cornerback position. So I'm just going to say this right now. I don't think Mike Jackson should go into next year just gift-wrapped the starting job. Tariq Woolen shouldn't either. I, I expect Woolen is going to be your starter, but the always-compete mantra needs to hold true, but especially at left corner – Mike Jackson could be a long-term guy. Some of the fans out there that are quickly wanting to jump to, eh, you know, he, he had a decent year, but we can get much better. I found it revealing that Trey Brown could not surpass him when he came back in the second half of the season. And Mike Jackson did not let go of that job and kept playing at a pretty high level. So he's going to be coming back as an exclusive rights free agent. He's affordable. He's cheap. 
And he's a pretty darn good football player. So put some respect on his name. I would like to see him start again next season as long as he's able to carry over this year and make some improvements because I thought he had a pretty good year on a defense where a lot of players were very inconsistent. He was one of the few guys that I thought brought it week in, week out. It was pretty darn consistent for the Seahawks. No, I 100% agree with you. I mean, I earlier I kind of mentioned I think the cornerback is a position that, that Seattle should look to continue to address. But uh, I certainly didn't mean um, that I don't ha- respect what Mike Jackson brought to the Seahawks. As we talked about in a you know episode uh, you know weeks ago, um, you know I, I remember evaluating Mike Jackson out of Miami, and I gave him a draftable grade. Really liked him. Um, and so I was surprised that he's bounced around the NFL and I'm not at all surprised that he has played himself into, you know, not only as a starter, but I mean, he's the kind of guy that, as you said, he's, he's physical, he's reliable in coverage he gets beat sometimes, but everybody gets beat sometimes, but he is, he's mentally tough and he bounces back. He's accountable. Um, and, and those things are important. Um, and, and so I, I think that uh, that he is absolutely uh, somebody that uh, you know deserves to um, Seahawks should be considering keeping him for the long term. Yeah, the Seahawks have a lot of issues on defense. They have a lot of holes. They have a lot of areas that they could use upgrades. I don't think that either cornerback spot is very high on that list, though. I think Mike Jackson has played himself into a position where he can maybe next year cement himself as a long-term starter. They could have their two starters already on the roster of that position. Trey Brown may have something to say about that, and if he does, that's a great development for the Seahawks if they can get Trey Brown playing at his rookie level and he takes that job back. But there's a lot to like about that quarterback group, and why not add another six foot three or six foot four corner to the fold and make things even more interesting? I think that it's one of those things you hope Mike Jackson holds a job, but you hope it's because he held off a bunch of really good players in competition. Coming up next here on our Tuesday edition of Locked On Seahawks, it's time to start talking free agency. We're going to take a little bit of a macro approach and break it into more approach season number one to take a first glance at Seattle's offensive free agents and maybe get some quick rankings in as well on which players we think are most important for the Seahawks to re-sign this offseason. We'll get to those coming up next year on our Tuesday edition of Locked On Seahawks. This episode is brought to you by BetOnline. BetOnline.net is your number one source for sports betting info, stats, news, and analysis. Get the latest odds and trends for every professional and amateur league out there from pro football to college bowl season to basketball and the World Cup. We've got it all at betonline.net. If you love sports podcasts, you can even find those at BetOnline as well. It's the fastest and easiest way to get your betting info. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more. BetOnline, where the game starts. You're listening to the Tuesday edition of Locked on Seahawks. This is your host, Corbin Smith. Glad, as always, to be joined by my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. And a special thanks to all the 12s out there, whether you are a regular listener or a first-time listener just checking out the podcast Hopefully you're enjoying, and thanks for your support. We greatly appreciate it. Make sure for your second listen after listening to Lock on Seahawks to check out the Locked on NFL podcast as well, bringing you the local insights you love to the national spotlight with daily conversations on the biggest NFL stories. Locked on NFL is available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Unfortunately, as we've said a few times, the season is now over. It is time to transition into off-season mode, and there is no such thing as time off in the NFL. Teams get eliminated before the playoffs. They get eliminated early in the playoffs. Either way, it's time to get right back to work and start preparing to make a run the following season. The Seahawks, among those eliminated in the first round of the playoffs, 
offseason mode is officially underway, which means it's time to start talking free agents. As I mentioned a few moments ago, we're going to start with more of a macro approach, just kind of looking at generalities, the group as a whole, and eventually we'll have more time to dive into each one of these players individually from a more detailed approach as free agency gets closer on March 15th. But Rob, let's take a look at our offensive free agents here. And just to explain for our listeners, you've got your unrestricted free agents who on March 15th, they are going to become free agents and free to negotiate with any team. There are restricted free agents that teams can negotiate with, but the Seahawks have the ability to match any offer sheet that they have to keep the player. And if not, they can get compensation back from the team that signs that player. And of course, exclusive rights free agents. Basically, the Seahawks just need to tender them. Nobody else can negotiate unless they decide to not tender them and then they become unrestricted free agents. So looking on offense, unrestricted free agents, the big name obviously we've talked about time and time again, Rob is Geno Smith, but you got another quarterback in Drew Locke, your starting center, Austin Blythe, running back with Scott Penny, a big time talent that just hasn't been able to stay healthy. Phil Haynes got a lot of reps at right guard this year, rotating with Gabe Jackson, Marquise Goodwin, Laquan Treadwell, Kyle Fuller, and running back Travis Homer. One restricted free agent being Penny Hart and two exclusive rights free agents, Godwin Igwebuke and Cody Thompson, who did not get to play at all this year. Looking at that list, quite frankly, you mentioned this yesterday. There's not a lot of star power on this list. You've got a couple of starters, Geno Smith being the big name here, but mostly role players and a lot of players on here that have had issues with injuries as well that may make it easier to resign these players if you want to because of their durability histories, but it might also lead the franchise to say, you know what, we've seen enough and we're moving on. Just not a lot of big names, a lot, not a lot of super important names, to be quite frank. Yeah, I think that's a good way of putting it. Um, certainly an efficient way of putting it, because I think that when you, you look at this, this is if you had to rank these in positions of concern, I would start off with the same player I'm going to start off with. Obviously, retaining Geno Smith has got to be your top priority. We all know that the quarterback position is a top priority. But I would argue that the second biggest priority on offense is center. And so, but I would not necessarily argue that either retaining Austin Blythe or Kyle Fuller is the second, uh, you know, biggest priority for the Seahawks at, at this point. I really think that that would be lower on the list, even though, again, I, I think that that is a, is a concern. That's why I think the Seahawks should be perhaps looking for someone outside of the franchise currently and then perhaps bringing one of those two options back to the Seahawks. So to me, after you get past Geno Smith, I, I, I might surprise the people here. I, I would like to see Rashad Penny come back to the Seahawks. I, I just, you know, Corbin, you and I are such huge fans of this game. Um, we, we recognize just what an exceptional combination of size and speed that he offers. Obviously, the injury concern is out there. That's what makes it that much more likely you're going to be able to get him back. And, and so to me, while I think that there is a Grand Canyon like gulf between my top priority again with Geno Smith and number two, three, four, and five, everybody else, I, I would say that Rashad Penny is somebody I would like to see bring back for the Seahawks. Brought back. Yeah. You and I are in agreement on this as far as priorities because we talked about this on yesterday's show. Travis Homer being a free agent, he's missed a lot of games too. He's similar to Rashad Penny. There's been various injuries, maybe not quite as severe of injuries, but he has missed a bunch of games, almost 20 games in the last three seasons for the Seahawks. And so 
that's a major issue when you're talking about a special teams player that hasn't done a lot on offense. He's always been a third or fourth running back on your roster typically. So Rashad Penny, his value when healthy makes him a really darn good number two. He would start for a lot of teams from a talent perspective, but behind Ken Walker the third, switching roles compared to the beginning of this year, think about it. Ken Walker the third comes out and it's like, hey, we're going to bring in a guy that's maybe the best home run hitting threat in the NFL in Rashad Penny. It's a really nice change of pace. And quite frankly, it may be something that prolongs his career because of the injury issues he has had. If he's only getting eight to 10 touches a game, he's got a much better chance of being able to stay healthy. And he's a player that can do a lot of damage with minimal touches like that because of that home run hitting ability. So Gino and Rashad Penny, those would be the first two on my list as far as free agent signings. And I'm going to surprise some people maybe a little bit with number three, but I, I mentioned this earlier. I would be surprised if Gabe Jackson is on this football team next year because of how much they owe him. And quite frankly, his performance for the money they have been paying him has been very underwhelming. Again, fourth lowest pass protection efficiency among all guards in the NFL this year, according to Pro Football Focus. And if you watch tape, you can see that. He has had a lot of issues keeping defenders in front of him. His run blocking has been inconsistent. He's got a bulky knee. So Phil Haynes comes in at number three on my list. And I didn't think Phil Haynes played great this year. I had higher expectations for him, but he is still only 27 years old. And I've seen enough flashes from him to believe that he could maybe be a player that could still start for you if he was able to seize the opportunity. And he is not going to be expensive to re-sign either. So I think on a one-year prove-it deal, after four seasons with the Seahawks, I think you get a chance to bring him back at an affordable rate and you could have him compete against a draft pick for that right guard position. That is the route I would go. So Phil Haynes would actually be number three on my list. Yeah, I, I think I agree with 99% of what you just said there, Corbin. I thought it was very well stated about how important the Phil Haynes is in, in terms of what Gabe Jackson is no longer and appears to be a starting caliber guard uh, in the NFL. Um, but the one thing I would differ with you is I, I would not be surprised at all if some other NFL teams out there have some interest in Phil Haynes and that he might get more than a one or, or even a two-year deal um, because he is a young player who still – does have some untapped potential to him, but has shown size, athleticism, and physicality. Those are the three most important things, of course, that you're looking for along the offensive line, along with toughness, which he has demonstrated. And so I, I think that he projects as a starter. I, I strongly consider making him the number two player behind Penny. And the only reason I didn't is, again, one of the ways that I kind of consider or one of the things I consider when making lists like this is let's just imagine that Phil Haynes is at his best. Imagine Rashad Penny is at his best. What actually gives you more victories? And of course, a dynamic running back is going to win that over a guard any day of the week. And that's why I put Penny there. But I think addressing the interior of the offensive line is, you know, as big as just about anything on Seattle's team, including all of those holes on defense, including retaining Geno Smith. It doesn't matter who you got quarterback if you can't block form and the Seahawks were not consistent enough blocking up front. So whether it be Phil Haynes or whether it be an early draft pick, whether it be a free agent, the Seahawks absolutely have to fix the interior of their offensive line. If it is Phil Haynes, then I hope that Seattle gives him a contract that's actually got a couple of years to it. Really sink your teeth into him, coach him up, because he does have talent. I do believe in the coaches here and what they're able to do. And, and so if that if you can get him for a re relatively decent price, I think that you do retain him. 
looking at the rest of my list here, coming in at number four, and you mentioned this, you know, in terms of importance position-wise right now and, and need, I think center is higher than this. But I have Austin Blythe at number four on my list because I mentioned this earlier. I would have no issue with him coming back. And if he wins the starting job against a rookie from the outset and earns that job, then great. Great for Austin Blythe because he was solid in pass protection this year. Maybe if he gets a little bit stronger, adds a few pounds onto his frame, maybe he holds up a little bit better against the run and he ends up being a quality starter for you again in 2023. But I'm looking at him as priority number four on my list as a potential swing center that can be a backup because I think you have to use one of your early draft picks to find your long-term starter at that position. I just don't see Austin Blythe because of his deficiencies at a run blocker being that player. But I see him as a guy that you can bring back at an affordable price that doesn't have to be a starter. You don't have to necessarily pay him starter money. I don't think there's going to be major demand for him in the market. There wasn't last year and the Seahawks were able to bring him in. I think his size hurts him in free agency too. So I actually think I would put him at number four just because I think he's a really good guy to have on the roster. And if you had to start him because of an injury to another player, he could come in and he could be a serviceable starter. But I think they can swing for greater fences at that position. And behind him, you mentioned wide receiver number three. I'm going to put Marquise Goodwin on here. I know he missed the last few weeks of the season, but – he was a really solid upgrade of the number three receiver. He still has elite speed. He and Geno Smith seem to have pretty good chemistry. And you had him on a near veteran minimum deal. I think you can probably do that again and bring him back. And even if he doesn't make the team, that's good news because that means you had other receivers that emerged. So he would be number five on my list because we saw a lot of good things from Marquise Goodwin when he was healthy this year. Yeah, no, we absolutely did. And I think that you, you made a, good, a strong argument for him. I, I think you can make a strong argument for Gawa Igwebuke as well. I mean, just the, the, the charge that he put into Seattle's kick return unit. I, I again, kind of talked about how we're maybe surprising some people. I'm going to throw Drew Locke's name out there. Um, I, again, I think the top priority is to retain Geno Smith. Um, but at the same time, you, you don't know that that is going to happen. Um, obviously Seattle has had an opportunity to now coach Drew Locke for a year. They presumably feel pretty good about who he is as a competitor. Everything that we have heard, um, has all suggested that that is the case. And so again, if you bring back Geno Smith, then I don't think that you need to bring back Drew Locke. I think that possibly you draft a young quarterback and you rock and roll with Geno. Um, but at the same time, if that does not work out, then I would make sure that you are keeping an eye on Drew Locke and whatever interest that he might have. There's going to be an awful lot of quarterback movement in the NFL this year. And uh, But still, I, I think Drew Locke, obviously, the fact that he does have familiarity now with Seattle's system, it, that's going to give him an advantage. And I actually had him in number six, spot number six on my list, just because even if Geno resigns, there's going to be so much quarterback movement. I don't know if that opportunity is going to be there anywhere else for Drew Locke necessarily right point now to be point. able to start. And playing in Seattle might still be his best chance down the road to maybe get an opportunity. And it's always good to have a cable backup that knows your system too. So it could end up being something where it just works out for both sides. If he has a better chance to start somewhere else, then obviously he should take that chance. But having a good backup that knows your system is very important. 
one injury and you can have that guy in the lineup. And the Seahawks would love to have a player like Drew Locke. They clearly have confidence in, and they've had a chance to work with over the last year. They like his practice habits. So that's an interesting one to look at for a player that isn't necessarily a starter for this football team, but is at the most important position you like to have a quality insurance option at quarterback coming up on tomorrow's episode we're going to switch gears to the defensive side of the ball looking at a much larger list of pending free agents on defense for the Seahawks and we're going to take a look at some awards that Tariq Woolen and Ken Walker III are up for and some initial roster moves reserve contracts agreed to by the Seahawks on Tuesday we're going to be breaking down all of those news and stories coming into the start of the offseason on our Wednesday episode you won't want to miss it I'm Corbin Smith. You can follow me on Twitter, Corbin Smith NFL. You can follow Rob at Rob Rang. And make sure to check out Locked On Seahawks and Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and streaming five days a week on YouTube. As always, we greatly appreciate you listening. Enjoy the rest of your Tuesday. Hope you'll be listening to tomorrow, tomorrow's episode. Go Hawks.